Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I've been rereading the book, Rees Howell Intercessor, this last week, and it's re-rocking my world. How many of you have read that book? Raise your hand. Yeah, a number of you. How many of you have never heard of the book? Raise your hand. There's some of you have never heard. I want to tell you, you need to read this book. It is a now book. Uh, it's about a Welsh minister, a miner that got radically saved in the, just before the Welsh revival, came home, ended up getting swept up in that move of God and became uh, a leader in Wales and really around the world. And, and uh, God raised up this band of intercessors that prayed the world through World War II. Fascinating story. But his, his walk with God, his, his life in the spirit, uh, I was writing my, my little bald-headed brother last night and I said, Christopher, I said, this man tapped into things that I've never heard anybody ever address. I've never heard anybody else talk about some of the experiences that he had in God and firmly rooted in the word. And uh, I believe that his life is a picture for us at this hour. And so uh, it just really stirred my heart. So what I want to talk about is our partnership with God. I want to read you, if you want to turn with me, 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin to read in verse 3. We're going to read through uh, probably verse 11. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to be his, called us to his own glory and excellence, which he has granted to us in his precious, prom, precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Let's stop right there. Peter and Paul are both notorious for run-on sentences. You can't just read what they say and just, oh, that was good. I mean, you got to slow yourself down and reread that. Uh, so let me read that again. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's good news. Through, how? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises. So through his knowledge, he's given us these great and precious promises. Why? So that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now that's what I want to look at this morning. We have become partakers of the divine nature. That is an astounding statement. Now, on the heels of that, he says, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires, for this very reason, make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you have these qualities, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be effective? You want to be fruitful? Then these progressive purposes must be established in our life. But what we need to realize is before that, before this fruit begins to develop in our life, we've got to realize that we are partakers of the divine nature. In a very real sense, the Godhead has been breached. And we've entered into this affection that the, God, the Godhead has for one another. 
The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. In fact, the Father sent the Son. It's very clear in the New Testament. There is one God, three entities that make him up, that great mystery. And of these these three personalities in in the Godhead, this Trinitarian Godhead, although they're one God, there's distinct, not just personalities, but roles to the personalities. Everything, Scripture says, comes from the Father. In fact, as I just said, the Father sends the Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. The Father sent the Son. But it's very clear that it's the Son that sends the Spirit. Jesus is the great baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And then the Son sends us into the world to do what? Send people back to the Father. And so there's this circle of life that happens. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. The Spirit sends us into the world to send others back to the Father, to be reconciled to the Father. And so there's these distinct roles. Matter of fact, you can see the book of Revelation speaks of all things coming from him, through him, and back to him. Everything, God is the great originator. It all originated in his His benevolent father's heart, God had an only begotten son, but what he wanted, because he's the ultimate father, he wanted many begottens. God wants a family. Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 5, Romans chapter 8, speak of this, that God is bringing many sons to glory. He's building a family. He wants to bring many children in. He adopts you in, but not, not just in a legal sense. He literally, you become, it's not just that God takes your name and gives you the legal right to become his in the sense that you have an inheritance, but you don't have the nature. He literally allows you to become partakers of the divine nature. So we are born ones, not just adopted from the outside in, but we, are, we have been made born ones. We are partakers of the divine nature. It's an amazing, amazing thing that you and I have been brought into the fellowship of the Godhead, that great love, affection, fellowship, and you and I find ourselves invited in. It's an amazing thing. We are sons and daughters of God. But in order for us to understand our role, we need to understand the the role of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And where do we fit in that equation? There's a very real distinction in the New Testament. Matter of fact, in modern vernacular, you can say, we've talked about this uh, in the past, that God thought it, Jesus bought it, and the Spirit brought it. It started from the Father, Everything comes from him and ultimately returns to him. It's for his glory. But it comes from the Father. He is the great originator. But it always comes through the Son. Jesus is the great mediator. I want to say it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. It might be 1 Timothy. But it says, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. During this This 40-day fast, we've been taking communion every morning during our prayer times together. And it's just been so driven home to me during this particular fast about how 
Psalm 40, when it's reiterated in the book of Hebrews, it says, a body you have prepared for me. It's a messianic psalm, and it's straight out of the Septuagint. It's the Greek version says, a body. The Hebrew version says, an ear you have dug for me. You've opened my ear. But the Septuagint said, a body you have prepared for me. And it's, it's uh, I, I forget the type of literature that is, but it's like when a, when a son says to his dad, hey, can I have the car keys? He's not asking just for the keys. The dad knows he's not going to put the keys in his pocket and walk to town. And the car is going to sit in the driveway. When he asks for the keys, he wants the car. And that, that's the idea behind this. An ear you prepared for me, a body you prepared for me. If he has my ear, he has my body. But it, it gives this play on words because it says, a body you have prepared for me. Jesus willingly took on a human body. And he has been wed to humanity ever since. A body God prepared for the son. And the son said, okay, I'll willingly take this on. And we need to realize the magnitude of that commitment. Because Jesus didn't just take on an earth suit for, you know, 30 years, zip it on, and then walk around for 33 years, and then unzip it. Now he's, it says, literally, he's still a man. First Timothy, uh, here, all this time past, this is well beyond his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he's still referred to as a man, the man, Jesus Christ. So he wed himself to humanity. God could never say again that I'm going to wash my hands of humanity and start over because he has become one with us and to forsake us, he'd have to forsake his son. And so he became one of us. Some of you are familiar with Don Richardson's book, The Peace Child. He wrote a great book called Eternity in Their Hearts. Uh, but he was a missiologist and a tremendous teacher. But he wrote this book called Peace Child. And the premise of the book was he and his wife were missionaries. Uh, I, I forget the, the nation now, but they were missionaries among these headhunters in this, uh, I, I want to say it was somewhere in Australia, if I remember right. But uh, he, they went there as missionaries and they would, they would, this tribe would eat their opposition. They didn't just kill them, they would eat them. And uh, so they're, they're trying to witness to him and win him to the Lord. And the more they shared the gospel with them, the more they understood what a deranged people these people were. Because what they found out, when they heard the gospel, in their culture, Jesus was a schmuck. He was, he was the joke, and Judas was the hero. Because betrayal was the highest ideal to aspire to. And so what they would do is they would have these warring tribes and they would invite, they would make friends with someone from another tribe. And they, over time, they would cultivate a relationship and win that individual's trust. And sometimes it'd be two, three years until finally that individual was sure that they were best friends. He'd have them over for dinner and they'd wait for that, that moment where all of a sudden out from behind the furniture would jump his, his fellow tribemen with spears and knives and they would relish in the horror of this guy as he realized, oh no, I'm dinner. And they'd just relish in that look and then they'd fall upon him and kill him and they'd cook him. So as he's telling them the gospel, they laughed at Jesus. They thought it was funny, but Judas was the hero. He was, he was the, one that, the one that they would all aspire to. So Don Richardson and his wife, they began to pack up their children. They thought, hey, we might be the next meal. And these people are too far gone. They're, they're beyond the gospel. 
This tribe, particular tribe, lived in, in a tree fort. So they're up there in the tree fort and they're packing up their stuff. They're going to go home. And the tribesmen were brokenhearted because this, Don Richardson and his wife and family really loved them and they didn't want them to leave, but they thought, you, you guys are beyond, beyond redemption. And as they're packing up, they heard something going on in the village. They looked down from their tree fort and there was this commotion and they realized it was a delegation from a warring tribe. And they had come into the, the, the clearing, into the tribal compound there and they were all excited and there was some kind of celebration going on. There was an exchange and people were just shouting and jumping around. He thought, what in the world is this? They climbed down from their tree and he said, what's going on? And they said, you don't understand. This is the greatest thing that can happen. This is the greatest news. This is the greatest ceremony. We've just entered into peace with this other tribe. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, it's the ceremony of the peace child. And he said, well, what is that? And he said, this warring tribe, we've been killing each other and betraying each other for generations. But now they've done something that seals the hope of peace for now, from now on. They've taken one of their sons and they've gifted him to us a tribe, to our tribe. Now, they've become one of us and we've become one of them. We could never fight against them again. It's sealed peace. And of course, Don Richardson gets a little light bulb across his head. Beep. And he said, what would happen if someone betrayed the peace child and murdered the peace child? And they gasped. They said, that is unthinkable. It, the, we could, that, that is unimaginable that someone would betray such a generous gift. And he said, that's what Judas did. For Jesus was God's peace child. He became one of us. And he gave him to man. And Judas betrayed the peace child. And a bunch of them ended up getting saved. And that's why he wrote the book. Because you wouldn't want to write a book about how you left and no one got saved. <laughs> so, peace child. And uh, Don Rich, he's got a gr another great book called Eternity in Their Hearts. That you would really enjoy. He's got some great stories in there as well. But Jesus, see, everything comes through the sun. That was a, a little... Uh, rabbit trail there, sorry. But uh, that uh, everything comes through the Son. He is the mediator. So it's from the Father through the Son, but it's by the Spirit. What does Zachariah say? Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. So the, ex the ex executor of God's will, he ex executes God's will. It's carried by the Spirit. And so we need to understand that because if we don't understand this, we don't know our role, and frankly, a lot of believers don't. When it comes to the Father, the Father is the one that had a dream to have many sons. And Jesus had to purchase that for us. It comes by Him. No man comes to the Father but through Jesus, comes through him. He's the mediator. That's why Paul called him the great mediator between God and man. And too often we stop there. And when we understand Jesus as the mediator, then the, in our relationship with the Father, we praise him because he thought up this grand plan to redeem us. When we look at Jesus, we praise him because of what he did. And we are the mere recipients of his initiative. Everything came from the Father through the Son. But when we understand the role of the Spirit, all of a sudden, we have a different role. We have an assignment. 
because everything's by the Spirit. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at, uh, well, let's look at verse 15, get some context here. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He wanted to come and preach to them uh, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you. One second, my computer's kind of freaking out here. Okay, so verse 13, because of this, or 15 rather, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? And it, this is an interesting passage. Paul is, is, is insinuating that vacillation or being, uh, not being concrete in your decisions is a result of walking in the flesh. He goes, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. And so here's the famous verse. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. So in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes. This is why it is said, through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, I want you to catch this. In this little passage here where he's talking about, he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is said, through him, Jesus. So the through is Jesus. Again, the mediator, we pray through the name of Jesus to the Father. It comes from the Father and returns through him. But we pray by the power of the Spirit. So listen to what it says again. Through him that we utter our amen to God. So it's through Jesus to God but who, who speaks the amen? We do. The amen is spoken by us. So the will of God is from the Father to the Father through the Son, but it's by the Spirit. But when we say we are partakers of the divine nature, God has breached the Godhead, invited us into this relationship. We are carriers of his presence. We have been brought into the family. We are literally partakers of the divine nature. We have been born again. We are born ones of God. The Greek word that we translate children of God is technon, born ones. We are born again and we are partakers of the divine nature. And the role that we have been brought into is not through us as in Jesus' role, but by us as in the spiritual role. And this is crucial. I don't know if I'm being clear this morning, but what I'm saying is this. You and I have a job to do. And God wills things it's going to happen through the Son, but it's going to happen by the Spirit. But it's not by the Spirit alone. We are partakers. That word can also be translated partners. We are partners in the divine nature. 
And in the work of the Spirit, the Spirit has to have a partner on earth to get things done. And the partner he's looking for is you and I. God's will will not be done without a human partner. Not because God is unable, but because God is absolutely unwilling to do so without you. God is looking to initiate a partnership. He's looking to find those who are partakers of the divine nature and understand their role that you and I step in and we pray the will of God. The passage here, this 2 Corinthians passage, he's giving us an, uh, an insight into prayer. He does the same thing in the book, in, in uh, Romans chapter 8. He tells us that, there's the, the, that Jesus prays for us and the Spirit prays for us. But when Jesus prays for us, we are the subject matter of his prayers. It says that the, the Son of God is at the right hand of the Father. One of Jesus' primary responsibilities towards you is to pray for you. And his prayers for you is you as the subject matter of his prayers. He's praying for you this morning. That's good news. Because Jesus' prayers are always answered. He's praying for you. Right now, he's praying for me. Lord, help Dave be clear this morning. He needs, some he needs some help being clear. He's praying for me. I am the subject matter. I can't do anything to hinder those prayers. Whether I'm praying with him or not, whether I'm living right or not, he's praying for me. But previously in that passage, it also says that the Spirit prays for us. And then it goes on to say that he prays for us with groans that words cannot utter. It's saying that there's, there's a praying that the Spirit does for us and it's not articulated in words. And the fact is that type of praying demands our cooperation. I can't affect Jesus' praying, but I can certainly affect the Spirit's praying. I can hinder the prayers of the Spirit, or I can facilitate the prayers of the Spirit. What I'm saying is this, that yes, you are partakers of the divine nature, but the role you step into on planet Earth is in partnership with the Spirit's role as executors of the will of God. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10? The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God through the Son. Amen means so be it. God can release his will, but he needs a human being to say so be it. Because God has delegated the earth to man. Psalm chapter 8. So well, so many believers wring their hands and saying, God, I don't understand why you allow these things. I don't understand why you don't do something. God looks at us and says, I don't understand why you don't do something. I don't understand why you allow these things. While we're wringing our hands and saying, God, why? God looks at us and says, that's what I'm wondering. Why? Incur invite my intervention through this mysterious power that I've delegated to you called intercessory prayer. God wants to enlist us. The amen must be spoken by us. I've been reading in the book of Daniel the last few days. and In Daniel chapter 9, 
It's this interesting passage. Daniel, this prophet, this Old Testament prophet, he's been taken from Israel, castrated along with his friends, and assigned studies in, in occultism in this foreign land. And yet this young man keeps seeking after God. He doesn't get bitter and he becomes a prophet of God. And he's a student of the scriptures. And it says in Daniel chapter 9, he says, I, Daniel, perceived from the writings of Jeremiah, the prophet, that the time had come for Israel's deliverance from Babylon. So here he is. It's not good enough he's just a prophet. It's not good enough he's given to visions and dreams. And that book unpacks all his visions and dreams. He's a man of the spirit. But Daniel is also a man of the word. And he was looking through the ancient writings that he had, in, had inherited, the book of Jeremiah that you and I have. And Jeremiah had a word from the Lord. Jeremiah told the children of Israel, you better repent, you better repent. God's gonna judge and it happened. And he said it'll be a seven years period. So Daniel is now 70 years later reading these scriptures and by the spirit he perceives, oh my goodness, we are in that season of fulfillment. So what does Daniel do? He looks around and he says, I don't see it happening. Does Daniel just roll up the scroll and say, I guess Jerry, Jerry must have been a, a false prophet because he said it and it didn't happen. You see, that's the way a lot of believers interact with the word. There's a prophetic word, doesn't happen, must be a false prophet. Because in our mind, we've, we've been seduced by this apathetic theology that says, anytime God declares something, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. When in actuality, it's not an inevitability, it's an invitation. And God is saying, I need an amen from the human race. I'm looking to enlist some partners. And you need to understand that the spirit of the living God lives inside of you. You are a partaker of the divine nature. And I've bestowed upon you tremendous authority. And I'm looking to you to stamp your amen on my will. Scripture is very clear. It says God looked for an intercessor and he marveled he could find none. The angels look and wonder why the church doesn't pray. They're like, do you realize the power that you have in prayer? And when Daniel read the word and he saw that it's time, he didn't just apathetically sit back and say, I must have interpreted that wrong. Or, well, I guess it's just going to happen. Man, I, I can't wait for that to happen. I'm going to start ironing my clothes for the return. You know what he did? He set himself to fasting and prayer. He began to cooperate with the word. He knew that the release of the word of the Lord also needed a human engagement. And it wasn't a call to just apathetically wait for something to happen. It was actually an invitation to participate in God's bold plan and to begin to pray God's will into existence. And he understood because things weren't moving, it was also going to demand some fasting. And so a ways into this fast, an angel of the Lord shows up and begins to unpack to him a revelation. The next chapter, same thing. 
The first time, I believe, was in three days. Man, that's a quick turnaround. That's a, that's a good fast. You know, you're like, I got to fast. And also, three days, woohoo, got the answer. Let's eat. <laughs> the second, in Daniel chapter 10, it says he set himself to fasting for 21 days. That's not as fun. See, Daniel could have easily thought, well, I guess it must not be God because, you know, last time it just, there was a quick turnaround. This must not be God's will. But see, Daniel didn't wrestle with the faulty theologies we as Americans do. He understood the will of the Lord and he stayed in that pocket of intercession and fasting till something broke loose. And boom, again, the angel, Gabriel breaks through and he says, he shows up in this big angel and Daniel, all the strength goes out of his body. He, he falls onto the ground with his face. He said, I went into a deep sleep. His face is in the dirt. He's crumpled to the ground. No one else saw the angel, but they felt this presence and they all scattered. He alone, it says, saw him and he's trembling, just shaking. And the angel went over and touched him and said, you are highly favored, Daniel. Now stand, and he's, he's standing up and he's just like liquefied, he's shaking. And the angel begins to release another message to him. And he says this, he said, from the day that you set yourself to fasting and prayer, I came with the answer. Now these are valuable, valuable passages because there's some, some keys, some secrets that you and I can pick up and it, it will dismantle these faulty theologies. Number one, God's will doesn't just happen. Psalm chapter eight is very clear. It's reiterated in Hebrews chapter two. What is man that thou art mindful of him? The son of man, you would visit him. You made him a little lower than the angels and put everything under man's feet. God delegated the earth to us so he will not violate the system he himself set up. So prayer, the principle of prayer is divine intervention only by human invitation. God looks for human engagement. That explains why we pray, but it doesn't explain why we have to pray and keep on praying. But this passage in Daniel does. From the day Daniel began to pray, it says that God sent the angel, sent this, the answer via an angel. And the angel tells him, he said, man, for 21 days, I was on my way, but I was held up by the prince of Persia. This was not a human prince. This was a principality over a region called Persia. And he told Daniel, he says, and after I, after I come back, he said, I was fighting for 21 days and essentially saying, because you stayed in the pocket and you kept praying, God was able to send another angel, Michael, that kicked the hiney of, okay, that's my interpretation, okay? In the Hebrew, it says hiney. Uh, <laughs> kicked the hiney of the prince of Persia and he broke through and he said, I'm here with your answer. So here's the thing. 21 days of opposition, but it wasn't because of a lack of willingness, willingness on God's part. It wasn't that God was reticent to answer. God sent the answer that first day. So where was the opposition? Was it that 21 days of fasting kind of twisted God's arm and finally God said, okay, uncle, uncle, I'll give it to you. You know, I don't really want to. No. God was willing from the first moment. The opposition was in the second heaven from the enemy. 
So we need to understand this weapon of fasting and intercession is not to convince God to do something against his will. It's not to try to talk God into doing something he's reticent to do. We pray the will of God in the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. But there is a battle, there is opposition, there is, but the opposition is not in heaven, it's from hell. And so we begin to have this pattern emerge that we have humans on earth with authority, a God in heaven that's willing, but an enemy in the middle, in the heavenlies, that through hell's strategy is trying to oppose God's purposes. And if we don't have those three components to our theology, then you'll be hard-pressed to really stay in the pocket of intercession until you get a breakthrough. If you don't understand that human authority is an essential element of prayer and that God is looking for your yes, it's not good enough just to read that it's God's will in the word and then to sit back and expect it to happen. There are some things that will demand a fasting and prayer, not because God's not willing, but because the enemy's going to oppose it. And God has given you the authority to overcome the enemy in his opposition. We bind the strong man so we can go in and plunder his house. And so we need to understand, we have humans with authority, we have a willing God that's a good God that wants to send deliverance, and we have an enemy that does oppose us, and that's why we enter into this thing called fasting and intercession. There's something about fasting that will break the power of opposition that the enemy has. The enemy exerts his power through fallen human authority. And what, so there's this battle of the wills. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But he didn't say we wrestle not. He's saying, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there is a wrestling against principalities and powers in heavenly realms. There are regional spirits that try to exert their will into a region. And what needs to happen is that God have a pocket of people in that region that cry out and establish an open heaven through their intercession. That the demands of Christ can be met in that region. That we are pressing the crown rights of King Jesus through our intercession. And so God is looking for human will, that we're exerting the word of the Lord. We're praying those things. I'll tell you, this, this thing about prophetic words not coming to pass, we are too quick to make judgments. Someone gives a word and it doesn't happen immediately. We just, just oh, they must have, that must have been a false prophecy or that man, that woman must have been a false prophet when that's not necessarily the case. It very well may have been that it wasn't prophetic failure, but intercessory failure. That we're not engaging in prayer. God is looking to raise up a people that have prevailing power in prayer. That they are exerting the crown rights of King Jesus over a region. And sometimes that does take fasting. Because what we're doing is we're, 
we're removing any kind of hold the enemy has on us. You can put it this way. As long as you're willing to live without revival, you will. If the church is willing to live without a move of God, then the church will live without a move of God. But when God finds a people that say, I've got to have a move of God, I am not going to pass through this life without seeing another move of his spirit. When God finds a people like that and they'll bind themselves to that request and they'll skip some meals and pound on heaven's door and they won't let go until they see something move, then God will grant it to them. He'll grant it through them. It's in partnership with the Spirit. That is our role. We are partakers of the divine nature. But it's not by might nor by power, but by his Spirit. But it's also by the saints. God is enlisting us to step in and begin to exert his demands in the spiritual realm. And I believe God wants to teach us to a greater degree as a church how to pray persevering, prevailing prayers to see breakthrough, to pray in faith and don't succumb to the temptation of the enemy that, well, I guess it must not be God's will because we're not seeing movement. We know what the will of the Lord is. It's in the book. How did Daniel know what God wanted to do? He read it in the book. He read what Jeremiah said. And then he stubbornly kept praying that and fasting that thing until there was breakthrough. And God wants to increase our faith. He's given us this weapon called the word that we find God's will in the word and we begin to pray that before the throne. God, we're asking for the break-in of your power. I was trying to study yesterday and I kept being pulled back into that book, Reese Howell Intercession. I'm telling you, you need to read this book. God trained him for years in his little Welsh village before he was used on the international scale praying this, this uh, praying literally the allied forces through World War II. I think I mentioned it re recently, but there was, I believe there were six, it may have been seven, key seasons of intense travailing prayer that Rees Hall in the Bible school he was running uh, went through. They, they would be gripped with intercession for days just in travail. And all of a sudden, as they would, this burden would be upon them, it would lift and they would just begin to shout and praise and they didn't know why. And then they'd get word there was a breakthrough on the, on the uh, Western Front with, you know, the Allied forces had broke through. And uh, after the war, there were war analysts that looked at the mistakes that Hitler made. And they said he made six or seven key mistakes. Had he not made those, had he just missed a couple of them, he would have ruled the world. And wouldn't you know it, those key mistakes coincided with those seasons of intercession. They were ruling the world from the height of a bended knee, shaping history through fasting and prayer. God needs that kind of church in this hour. He's looking for those who will be enlisted and say, God, give us, give us your heart and we'll pray this thing through and we won't relent until it's done. I believe the Lord wants to stiffen our resolve and give us strength in our backbone for that type of praying in this hour. 
What precipitated that season was Reese Hall. God began to lay on his heart. He, there was a village near theirs. The Welsh revival was a tremendous move of God. I mean, whole, whole communities got saved. It, uh, matter of fact, Evan Roberts, the leader of the Welsh revival, was in, in a, a pen pal of Frank Bartleman, one of the leaders of the Azusa Street revival. Frank Bartleman started writing Evan Roberts and saying, pray for Los Angeles. We want to see happen here what happened there. And it, what resulted was the Azusa Street revival. Global revival began to break out, which gave birth to the modern Pentecostal movement. But what happened is, Rees Hall found this village, this little community that was not, hadn't been touched by revival. They would bring uh, whiskey and beer in by the barrels full and they would just sit with tapped barrels out in the street and bodies would be laid out. People were just drunk and they were reprobate and they were hardened to the gospel. And God challenged Rees and said, I want, to see, I want to see something established in that area. And so he went in and just began to witness and preach and lay his life down. And God would tell him, okay, I want you to take responsibility for this family. This, this, the, these four children, their father abandoned them as a drunk. I want you to adopt them and take responsibility for them. And he would just go in and he laid his life down and they saw something break loose. And there were times where God would say, okay, now I want you to pray for this one. But I don't want you to talk to him. I want to teach you how to break, to bind the strong man and plunder his goods. I'm going to show you this soul, this, this famous reprobate in this community. I'm going to show you how I can save him without you ever saying a word to him. I will save him through your prayers. Does that make you hungry? Man, I'm telling you that I feel that. The Lord wants to lay specific assignments. He's inviting us into this thing. Where, he, where we can say, God, I want to see you move. Lord, give us a specific assignment. Grip our heart, Lord. And God, give us a purpose, this side of heaven. You see, the danger is, is that we only see the work of Christ. The danger is, is that we understand, oh, it's through Jesus, our mediator. And we have it all. We have this gift of salvation. And we do. But we're meant to be more than recipients. We're meant to be more than consumers. God's looking to enlist us as partners in this great thing called the gospel. And if we just live as consumers of our salvation, you will live a bored life and actually be susceptible to falling back into sin. Because you were made to be more than simply recipients of salvation. Of salvation. God is looking to enlist you. He wants to lay a responsibility at your feet and say, come on, I've got a great adventure. I want to, I want to use you. I want to partner with you. I want you and my spirit to become one. I want you to be a spirit-filled believer that stamps my amen on the, the will of God in the earth. That's what God's looking for. And the reason a lot of Christians are bored and so susceptible to sin is because the only thing they have is they have their Christology and their soteriology and they have a vision of their salvation but now that they're saved they're just waiting to go to heaven. And God didn't save you just to bring you to heaven. He saved you for a purpose this side of heaven. There's an assignment that he has for your life. There's things he put in you that he longs to get out of you by his spirit. And he's looking to lay assignments on our life and invite us into this thing and to begin to see heaven move in our, our region. I was over here yesterday and just pacing up here in this 
up in the altar and just saying, God, give me a love for this community. God, so put it inside of me, Lord, that I would be willing to give my life for this community. You see, it's not good enough that Jesus gave his life for us. He wants to so grip our hearts that we would do the same for our own assignment. We're to be partakers of the divine nature. And that divine nature so loved that it gave. And God wants to put that sacrificial spirit in us. Until you have something worth dying for, you never really know what it's like to live. God wants to give us an assignment that we would say, God, if you'll do this. You look at, you look at Moses, probably the greatest picture of intercession outside of Calvary that humanity has ever seen. And he's begging God, God, don't kill Israel. They had so frustrated God by their idolatry. He had, through miraculous deliverance, brought him into the wilderness, and the thanks they give him is by creating a, a calf out of gold and worshiping it. And God said, I'm done, Moses. I'm gonna make a new nation out of you. I'm gonna wash my hands and of it. And Moses is crying out and says, God, don't do it. And he said, Lord, if, you, if you're gonna damn them, then take me with them. Blot my name out. There was something that had so gotten inside of him of the divine nature that he said, God, I can't stand to be in heaven without them. His life was gripped and that's, that's what God needed. And God said, okay, I relent. I'll save the nation because of you, because Abraham, or Moses had found favor with him. You see the same thing with Paul. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles and he was willing to lay his life down for the Gentiles. He'd been stoned and whipped and shipwrecked and left naked and starving for the Gentiles. But when it come to the Jews, and it wasn't even part of his calling, he said, God, I'd, I'd be willing to be damned. I don't even understand that. But he said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Something of God's nature had so gripped him. Like, I want you to think about that. Paul is not blowing smoke. He's not saying something to impress us. He said it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He penned that. He meant it. God had so gripped his heart, he said, God, I'd be willing to be damned to see them reconciled to you. Paul could go on in the next chapter and he said, all Israel will be saved. He said, there is a revival coming to my nation, my people, and I'm telling you, the reason God was able to secure it, even thousands of years ago, Paul was so convinced that he had got the answer that he wrote, it's going to happen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because God found a man that would be willing to be damned to see a people redeemed. He had become a partaker of the divine nature. He had entered into this thing, that sacrificial nature of God. Jesus did go to hell and back for us. He took it upon himself and he went to hell and back. And he wants us to share in that kind of sacrificial spirit. It's not good enough to just receive salvation. You were made for so much more. We were made to find something to lay our life down for. What? What, what is going to matter when we stand before God? 
The only thing that's going to matter is that we saw God's kingdom come and his will done in our generation and our region. The, the, that area and that time frame in human history that has been delegated to your, you and me. That's all that's going to matter. It's not going to matter whether our team won the Super Bowl or how big a house we have or anything like that. That's all gravy. That's all side issue. And I'm grateful for the blessings of God. But I'm telling you, if we pass through life and we miss the purpose for which we were made, we've missed it all. God is looking to grip our hearts. He's wanting to impart to us that burden, that sacrificial spirit to go to move on from being mere consumers into being participants, to become partakers of the divine nature and understand our role, our assignment, and so that it so grips us that we now have something to live for worth dying for. I'm gonna ask you to stand this morning. I wanna pray over you. I want to ask the Lord this morning to impart to us his love for this region and this generation. Now, it may be that when God's love grips you, you might find yourself packing up and going to Iran as a missionary. You might find yourself packing up and going to China as a missionary. But we need to hear the voice of the Lord this morning. Psalm 40, my ear you have opened. I'm here to do your will. That is your blood-bought right to enter into the eternal purpose. God had a dream and he wrapped it in you and he wants to unleash it on human history. But it takes your cooperation. It takes your amen because God won't make you do it. You've got to surrender. Just lift your hands right now. Father, Lord, I'm asking God that you would stir our hearts. Lord, that you would impart to us your heart, that sacrificial nature of your spirit. Lord, I'm asking that your plow blade would go deep, deep, deep. Get to the roots of our self-centeredness, Lord. Lord, those areas where we don't even realize we're still holding on to comfort and convenience. Lord, give us such a burning revelation of your purpose, of your heart, of your desire. Lord, that we would be willing to exchange our very life to see it come to pass. Lord, we ask for a fresh baptism of love. Lord, encounter us. God, give us a hunger, a brokenheartedness, Lord, for this region. Lord, that those who do not know you, Lord, that I pray, God, just as you did with Rees Howell, you'd begin to lay assignments at our feet and we would be stubborn, stubborn in our faith to lay hold until we see the breakthrough, God. Lord, that you would fix us as a church like a peg in this region, Lord, immovable, immovable in our pursuit of your purposes. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, 
You can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give. 